Welcome to the Resurrection People podcast with Preston Sharp, pastor of Sacrament Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and curator of The Art of Preaching. Each week, we look at three readings from the Bible, drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. Find more at theartofpreaching.substack.com. Welcome back to the Resurrection People podcast. I'm Preston Sharp. Today, we are looking at our gospel reading, which comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 21, starting with verse 33. And in this reading, Jesus tells the parable of a landowner who planted a vineyard. Now, in the first century, whenever you heard landowner and vineyard, that was a code for God and Israel. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, Israel is often described as a vineyard. See, for example, Isaiah chapter 5. The fence that's built here in this story, or the wall that the landowner builds, is probably the Torah, the law from which the Ten Commandments are central. The Torah was designed to make Israel a fruit-bearing nation, the light of the world. A vineyard has been rooted in the land, which represents, the land represents the promised land given by God, and a watchtower has been built, which likely represents the temple. The vineyard has been given under the supervision of the tenants in charge, the Judean authorities, we think that might mean. The landowner then sends his servants to collect fruit from the vineyard. God goes to see if Israel has been faithful or has been fruitful. The servants given this task represent the prophets who have prepared the way for his coming. But when the servants show up to collect the fruit, the tenants beat up the servants. Jesus is referring here to the history of Israel, which has now reached its culmination in his son, Jesus. So throughout the Old Testament, God's people have rejected the prophets. We still do that today. The landowner then sends other servants or more prophets, more than the first time, but the tenants just do the same thing that they did before. Finally, the landowner sends his very son to them, thinking that they will surely respect his son. Yet the tenants kill even the landowner's son out of a desire to take his inheritance. Verse 39 says, So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now the tenants' logic here is flawed. How would killing the landowner's son lead them to inheriting the land? The landowner is still alive and well. Maybe they just reason that he's so far away, they could just kind of do what they want because the time of judgment would take him so long to get to. Jesus is really describing what is happening as he has come into the world. Israel has rejected the prophets and now they're about to kill him. Jesus's story even foreshadows the place of his death as the son in the story is dragged outside the vineyard and killed. Jesus himself was killed at Golgotha, outside of Jerusalem, consistent with how the unclean were supposed to be dealt with in Israel's earliest days. You can find that out in Leviticus 14. The authorities of the day assume that judgment is just a long way off in the future. And they assume that when judgment happens, it will be a dominating kind of judgment which will restore Israel to a great empire and defeat all of their enemies. So in a strange way, because the authorities here don't have a good concept of what judgment in the kingdom of God actually looks like, they think it will look like domination, they're not open to real judgment, which is based on trusting or not trusting in God. And because of that, judgment is falling upon them. 
Jesus asks them what the landowner will do with those tenants. And he sets them up to say what they say. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at the harvest time. Now remember that this parable follows after the parable of the two sons, right? That we've read before. When the tax collectors and prostitutes enter the kingdom of God first, because they were the ones who responded to John's preaching and to Jesus. Here, we can assume that the new tenants or the ones who will be um, in charge or stewards over the land are those who are responding in trust. They enter the kingdom of God not because they have proven themselves, but because of their simple trust. The authorities, on the other hand, have cut themselves off from the power of reconciliation because of their failure to trust. Now, in our English translations, it looks like Jesus then switches metaphors really fast. So he's talking about a son, and then all of a sudden he talks about a stone in uh, quoting Psalm 118, verse 42. In that, the psalmist writes, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. We see this theme of Jesus as the cornerstone is something Peter has emphasized, uh, both in Acts 4.11 and then also in 1 Peter 2, 1-8. So it looks kind of like he's switching. Okay, are we talking about a sun in a vineyard still, or are we talking about a stone? What's going on here? Well, the Hebrew word for sun is the word ben, and the word for stone is eben. Jesus is poetically connecting the two words. So the sun has become the central stone. Of course, Jesus is speaking about himself. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus says, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, these that are in authority, and given to the people that produce the fruit of the kingdom. Those who fall on this stone will be broken into pieces, or the one who falls on the stone will be broken into pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. In other words, while the world goes in one direction, seeking after its own aims, Jesus kind of gets in the way. (laughs) He's the one on whom people rise and fall. Everything that stands in the way of Christ is revealed as hollow. It's reduced to nothingness. Now, some have looked at Jesus's constant, consistent calling out of these leaders, including his cursing of the fig tree, which has a symbolic resonance, as Jesus rejecting Israel herself as God's chosen people. In fact, Matthew's gospel often hints that Gentiles sometimes understand Jesus better than his own people do. The end of Matthew's gospel, some have used this as support, charges the disciples to go into all nations. But this does not mean that God's promise to Israel has been superseded. Jesus' sharp critique of the Jewish leaders is not a rejection of the people of Israel. Jesus is an Israelite, and so are his disciples. After the resurrection, the disciples of Jesus will continue to worship in the temple, Acts chapter 3. And when Jesus cleanses the temple, he's not rejecting its significance. He's showing how significant it is. The truth is, we as Christians are often like the chief priests in this account. We have become prideful in assuming that we are responsible for the tradition determining who is in and who is out. The chief priests and the elders here recognize themselves in Jesus' rebuke. 
they know that it's themselves who have not repented. And they get so frustrated by it, they would like to arrest Jesus, but they're afraid of the crowds. Of course, the crowds themselves are fickle. They will later turn on Jesus in Matthew 27. The truth is the world does not like, and we do not like, the idea of a God who completely welcomes all by grace through faith. The idea that a salvation is completely free. The good news in all of this is even as we don't like that, and even as we reject it, and we reject true love as it steps into the world, that God is still faithful. And that even those who tend to stand in the way of the kingdom are unable to stop it. Robert Capon writes, The world parentally trips over him in unbelief. And when he comes in judgment to its unfaith, his vindication of it by grace through faith simply grinds to powder the irrelevant, lost life on which it chose to rely. Listen to this part. Jesus died for the sins of those who killed him even for the sins of unbelief by which we kill him all over again. In the end, though, it's just sad. (laughs) How unhappy to put ourselves on the losing end of a deal that even our messing up can't really sour. How melancholy not to believe that all he ever wanted for us to believe. How just plain dumb. (laughs) It is dumb. But the good news, as I said, is that God is faithful that we have this opportunity to join in his life and in his kingdom today. Thanks for listening to the Resurrection People podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review to help us get the word out. You can hear full sermons at sacramentchurch.com and find out more at theartofpreaching.substack.com.